a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleos, Ton Bettis with you, taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can also text us your questions, 57500. Back to our phone lines, Richard is in Mill Creek. Good morning, Richard. What is your question? How are you doing this morning? Great, thank you. We have a lovely yard, and you guys are the ones to blame. So Nice. <laughs> I appreciate everything well, you do. I thought you were going to say, like, yeah, I've got a bad yard, and it's full of weeds, and it's your fault. <laughs> hey, listen, real quick, uh, two quick questions. One, I love tricolored beach, um, and they're just incredible in May. But by the time it gets really hot, unless you've got them in the shade, um, they just fry. And I, so I went ahead and bought one, and I purposely put it underneath uh, another tree, and so supposedly, I mean, for the most part, I was watching it this summer. Supposedly, it's in the shade probably 95% of the time, if not almost all day. And yet, it's still fried. Is it just because it was so darn hot this summer? No, it's just doing what it does. By July, they start to cook and scorch, even in the shade. It's just, one, the tree, it's a genetic uh, fluke that is suboptimal that would normally weed itself out in the wild. But because it's so beautiful, humans have artificially kept it going. Uh And so unless you live in like Portland, Oregon or Seattle or up in on Vancouver Island, you know, in these ideal climates, it's always going to scorch. So there's just really nothing I can do. I wondered about giving it more water and no, don't do that because you might kill it. Okay. From overwatering. It's just enjoy it for the first half of the season and know that it's not being too harmed by scorching, but that is going to do it. Okay. Other quick question. I've got three uh, pine trees. They're sort of the, the smaller variety. They're kind of um, airy and, and open branched kind of trees. Uh, I really love them. The one I put in first is just as green as green can be. And the other two that I put in a couple years later, um, looking for a little bit of a forest kind of look, haha, uh, are just not as happy as the big one. I wonder if I should throw a little bit of iron on the base of it, or what do you think? Make sure that they're not getting too much water. Oh, okay. Uh, if they're being drowned, that would cause that. Now, did you buy firs or spruce? Oh, gosh, don't ask me that. They're, they're, I'm looking out the front window at them right now. They're, they're small needles. Uh, the branching is very open and airy, and uh, so you tell me. I don't think that could be fir or spruce. 
So if you grab some of the needles and roll them in your hand, a spruce needle will roll and it feels kind of square, but a fir needle is flat and that's how fir is flat, spruce rolls. And so if they're fir and if you have subalpine fir, you may have a challenge on your hands as far as keeping them going if they're subalpine fir, but if they're a dwarf form of say oriental spruce or Serbian spruce, then you have a lot better chance of them taking. Okay. I really like them. They're beautiful and they don't cover everything up like most pine trees yeah. do, you know. And the other one they could be are also something like blue atlas cedar. Are they blue in color at all? Well, the big one tends to kind of run a little blue, but I, I mean, I wouldn't really call it blue. No, it's it's okay. a dark green. Yeah, roll those needles in your hand, and if they roll, and you can feel that they have, you know, those edges, it's spruce. If they don't roll, then it's fur, and you're going to have to be very careful getting established because subalpine fur struggle more in the valley locations than they do where they're native in the mountains. Well, and I may be watering too much too, huh? Uh, it could be, or it just could be if they're fur, that's because it's what they do. Sure. <laughs> okay, thank you. All right, Richard, thanks for your call this morning. Uh, he brings up a, just such an important point about the tricolor beech, because I've been researching that tree. It's my favorite tree, and I was going to plant it until we got to midsummer, and I watched the neighbor's tree, and then I was like, where I want to put it, it's going to make me unhappy that it's going to start to do that in the middle of the year. Yes, and, and things like that can be a dilemma because you know what it's going to do, but what do you replace it with? Because in those areas of your yard, you know, if you spend a lot of time outdoors, you're going to be looking at it right. for the next anywhere. You know, if you're in your kind of your final home for 20 to 40 years at least – and you want something that is going to be beautiful and won't overtake the area because you don't want to plant something that's beautiful and then you have to cut it down after right. 20 years. which is what we've had to and do. And so it can be a very hard decision with lots of options because you need to decide what is going to be beautiful and usable to you. And there's, right. it's just hard to do sometimes. That's why research is so important, especially when you're making an investment into a tree. It is. And initially, you know, they can be anywhere from $50 to several hundred dollars, depending on the species and the size. But if you misplant, it could die. And so you've lost your investment there. But if you don't do your research, it could get too big and it can cost 3000 5000 you know, dollars or more to have that removed. And even if you just come in and have it cut back, which often isn't a good thing, it, within five to 10 years, it'll grow right back and you'll keep that up. And so that research is just so important. All right. Next listener is uh, Jill in Sandy. This is her first year with Helleborus Lenten Rose. Uh, the large, beautiful leaves have frozen and flopped down. And she wants to know, does she cut them back? Is it dead? What should she be doing? Leave them alone. And there's a chance they'll just come right back. They will bloom 
in late March through April, some of the first flowers of the season. If we were just a little bit warmer, the reason they have the Linton Rose name is that they bloom during Lent, Mm -hmm. which is a holiday celebrated by the Catholic and I imagine other uh, denominations as far as being able to recenter yourself. And, you know, there's some other things that go with it, but uh, I'd leave them alone. Okay. Uh, Next person says, when's the best time to cut off the sprouts coming from the base of an apple or other trees? No time like the present. You don't want to let those grow because they are a magnet for woolly apple aphid and fire blight. So just cut them off. Okay. Next person would like to know if you have any recommendations for melons they would like to try and grow next year. It depends on the space. I've never grown melons, I'll be honest. I've never had enough space for a melon. Or at least I thought I had. Yeah, they will get as big as a pumpkin plant. So on those, if you're growing, unless you have a lot of room and you want watermelon, you want to grow a seeded watermelon Mm -hmm. so that you have better chances of getting fruit. Um, Others, you know, if you don't have any experience with them, there's nothing wrong with just starting out with cantaloupe watermelon, maybe some Crenshaw or honeydew. But the easiest ones to know when they're ripe are the cantaloupe because they turn kind of a golden yellow color and the stem falls off. And then the watermelons, if you know what to check for, there's a curly cookie or a a tendril that grows two or three inches behind where the stem attaches to the melon. And when that's dry and the bottom of the melon goes from white to kind of a creamy yellow color, they're ripe. But those will be the two easiest ones. But once you start getting some experience with those, the others, the how to grow them's the same. It's just always trying to figure out when they're ripe. Okay. But they need a they have a pretty long growing season. They, they do need to plant them pretty early. They want to find melons that will ripen in under a hundred days, which there are many of them out there. We don't get the size on them like you would in the upper Midwest or the South, you know, you always hear about the 50 and 70 pound lunkers coming out of Mississippi and Florida. <laughs> can't we even don't lift those, get <laughs> those, but you know, there are many melons. We grow them on a limited basis commercially here. You know, a lot of the farmers have switched to seedless, but as a homeowner with limited space, I would stick to seeded melons. Okay. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. Phone lines are open. You can also text us your questions at 57500. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Good morning. Thank you for being with us on this Saturday morning. Maria Anton with you, taking your questions at 801-575-8255. Or you can text us at 57500. Uh, Bonnie is in West Jordan. Good morning, Bonnie. What is your question? Good morning. Hi. What can we do for you? Can you hear us, Bonnie? Is your radio on? No, I think her phone dropped. Uh Uh-oh. Ah. Anyway, I'm going to ask her question. Maybe uh, you can answer it from what she's put here. Uh, 
that she's talking about walnut trees and they are dripping sap badly. What would is that normal? We need more information, but I would suspect that they may have been pruned and they have a tendency to do that. They could have been damaged by weather. There's sometimes insects that will cause them. Okay. Are you back, Bonnie? I am. Sorry, I was trying to get off the radio. No <laughs> so, worries. Go ahead. Go ahead and ask your question. What's going okay, on? good morning. Um, I have two walnut trees that are probably 50 feet tall. We've had them for 42 years. They didn't produce this year. I guess they got frozen. But now we have one that's just pouring sap off of it practically. And Where the other one's not. Where is, is the sap coming from? Um, is there all over everywhere. the tree? Is it on the main limbs and trunk? No, it, it's, I'm not even sure, but it's probably the, all over the tree. I mean, it's just like all over everything. Has we can't tell it's so tall. tree been diseased or doing worse than the other one? No, they both produced magnificently. They didn't this year, like I said, I think they froze neither one produced. But no, we haven't had disease issues or anything. We usually get like hundreds of pounds of walnuts. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I know there could be a lot of different things going on. You could have some sort of disease in there that's causing it to bleed. Oftentimes, in, in oftentimes, an insect infestation will cause it to do this. And so, unfortunately, this is something that just tells you that further investigation is needed. Now, has anybody done any pruning on the tree? We didn't this year. Normally we do, but this year we just, I guess we just ignore the tree because it didn't produce. Okay. So I do spray every fall for the walnut. Yes. And is it more coming, I guess it's not coming from the tips, but it's coming from the actual branches and trunk and things that are causing it to bleed. The trunk doesn't seem to be having an issue. It is the branches. Okay, um, and f- I think you're going to need to get somebody in there to take a closer look because it sounds like either an insect or disease um, infestation that hopefully can be controlled. But this is something that you may need. If you can get pictures of it, you can send it over to your extension office and let them take a look. But you may need an experienced arborist up in there to see if they can figure out what's going on. Um, okay. So find an arborist, not a tree printer, an arborist. Yeah, <laughs> okay. an actual certified arborist that has certifications in diagnostics. I mean, being okay. an arborist is a good start, but it doesn't mean that you're necessarily experienced with a lot of trees. And so um, you may look, give Utah Community Forest Council a call and see if they know of someone experienced that they can refer. <laughs> Utah Community Forest? Yeah, Utah Community Forest Council. Okay. I'm writing that down. Sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. I will try that then. Okay. To save the tree, so. All right, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks so much for your call this morning. You know, some of these things are really hard to diagnose a ton. It's like you said, it's like they have a headache, but you, when you get a headache, it can be a lot of different things. It can. And for the walnut trees to be bleeding sap like this, the major cause is usually someone has pruned 
later in the spring. Mm-hmm. And like grapes, they have a tendency just to drip sap. But for them to be leaking this time of year would usually indicate that they have either an insect infestation or a, a disease in there. There's some bacterial diseases. And I was thinking maybe something along the lines of bacterial wetwood. But if it's leaking sap from multiple places... I don't know that that's the cause. And I was trying to eliminate insects or something more major. And so they're going to need to get someone into the tree to investigate further. Right. And heat wouldn't have anything to do with it. No. We're blaming I, a lot of stuff on the heat. No. So. I Because we haven't seen a lot of this, I don't even think the frost. You know, three years ago, we had a lot of our walnut trees. The canopies died down to about a third of the original size. You had a lot of dead branches and then the inner canopy, but they never had any sap bleeding. Mm. And so there's just something different that requires more investigation. Yeah, I noticed yesterday uh, the weather was a little bit warmer. There were actually people working on a roof. I'm like, ooh, 40s, I'm not sure about that. But yeah, this weekend, they, people, if they have some cleanup left to do, this might be a good weekend to do it. Because did you see there's a 70% chance of snow on Monday? I did. I did. So get things done. My wife said, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the yard that still needs picked <laughs> up, kind of hinting around. So I think that's going to be Put my park, afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The other thing I still haven't gotten done is my snowblower has last year's oil in it still, and I need to get that out and get new oil in it and get it fueled up and always use the ethanol-free fuel in your small engines. Because if I saw some predictions, I think, from the National Weather Service predicting a below-average snowfall um, precipitation in a year for us, but we still could get periods of major snow and if you have ethanol-based fuel in your snowblower and it sits for over a month, you'll start to get patina on the uh, carburetor and it'll start to clog it up. Oh, you don't want that for sure. You definitely do not because take it to a repair shop and it's an easy $120 for something that an extra 20 cents a gallon for the gas would have saved you from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take a break for the top of the hour news uh, this morning's plant of the week was the Norfolk pine. You can find out a lot more information about that. We do have a uh, a sheet up on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page, an information sheet that you can uh, learn more about that. When we come back, we're going to talk about those little bugs that come into your house and affect all of your house plants. Uh, that's next following the news. So again, thanks for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse Show here on KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. 
Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.